and a chance not to punch each other, I thought we might pack a moment and say, well, how is that like the world? Outside of the walls of believers, we're told to behave certain ways to win. What about that game looks like out there? Yeah. Aggression is rewarded. Everybody agree? Hang on a second. I, I need to describe. I can't talk and do this. Would you write on the board? Thank you. Aggression. Aggression on the board. What else? Selfish. Right? There was no cooperation. The pink people didn't all get together and go, let's protect each other's balloons. No. Was that a strategy you could have done? Could you have paired up with somebody to protect each other's balloons? Not a one of us did that. Right? What else? Assertiveness. Is this the punching and kicking business? No, that was the aggression. Oh, that's different, yeah. How is this different? Uh, uh, just putting yourself out there. taking advantage of every opportunity. Anything else? Did everybody have equal athletic skills out there? No, we come with some, some deficits, right? Some advantages and deficits. Did everybody have their balloon tied at the same length? We all make different choices that impact our capacity to win out there. Anything else? Oh, we're protecting our weakness. Out there, we protect our weakness. We sure do, that's a good one. We could go on, and I don't want to because I've got other things I need to tell you. But my point about this is that tonight's scripture is gonna call us to holiness. And we're gonna have a long discussion tonight, probably more than you ever wanted, about what stops us from being holy. So with that, I need somebody to read scripture. And by the way, Caleb has, see, I remember Caleb, how nice. If you haven't gotten your scripture journal yet, um, these are yours for free, but you need to raise your hand so I can pass them out. And who would be bold enough to read our section of scripture tonight? Thank you, Eli. You know what it is? It's 1 Peter 1, 3, 20, 4, 5. 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. Oh, yes. We haven't moved along very far. It's 13. Thank you. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So your faith and hope are in God. Uh, Sorry, talking while I was still going over. 
since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other. From a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is a gospel that was proclaimed to you. You know, one of the things I love about Peter is that he, he's like ADD when he writes. He's not like Paul. If you ever study Paul, Paul is like methodical and orderly down through there. And Peter, he just bings around all over. And I just love him. Um, the start of it goes, therefore. Now, if you've been around any kind of pastor people for a while, pastor people love to say this. When you see a therefore, you need to ask what it's therefore. What is it therefore? What is he saying? He's making a transition. If I say to my son, you need to X, Y, and Z. I told you that yesterday. Therefore, what am I really doing with that? Grammatically, what am I telling? What is, what is, Paul, what is Peter telling us? Therefore. Anybody know what I'm trying to grab out here? Cause and effect. Cause and effect is where I was driving. To go backwards, too. They're always saying, since the thing I just said before, then you should this, right? Since I told you to clean your room yesterday and you didn't, therefore, you're not going to the movie tonight with your friends, right? Okay. Therefore, he's connecting it to the front. What did... Caleb teach last week the main thrust of the previous scripture was. I know, I'm expecting to remember what Caleb said last week. Look at your notes. Or look at the scripture. We've just been told something happened in the scripture before. Therefore, we should be not perishable, therefore we are to be holy while we are here. Well, ain't that great? How in thunder have you been taught to this day to be holy? 
not a rhetorical question. If you think back to all the scriptural teaching you've had in your life, which may be about five minutes, or it could be all your life, I don't know you. What did they tell you? How are you supposed to be holy? Oh, be more like Jesus. Did anybody give you a nice full one-page list of what Jesus was like? Or what did they do? Read the scripture. You need to be like Jesus. And they usually use it with a bamboo bat to beat you over then. Be like Jesus. Why aren't you more like Jesus? And they can bite Jesus off too, because you're going to sound like your son after that. Jesus. All right. Anything else? How else did they tell you? Maybe you got a little more mature and they told you something else. Oh, follow the rules. Ten commandments are a great place to start, but how many rules are there in Scripture? A few? How are we doing at following all those rules? Anybody like me, kind of, by about 6.30 in the morning, you've already broke one? I've only been up for five minutes. Were you ever taught, read Scripture, memorize Scripture? Were you ever taught, hang out around other Christian people? Were you ever taught, pray? Well, let me tell you, I don't know how that worked out for you guys, but it was only partially successful for me. Because so much of that discussion is about making better choices. Stay away from sin, don't do this, don't do this, do do this, do do that. And after a while, I had such a long list of do's and don'ts, and I wasn't looking up to most of them, and I just wanted to throw in the towel. Maybe you guys didn't suffer from that. But I came to a place where I thought, I don't know if this is even possible to be holy because I'm holy. I just don't know if it is. And I actually had to go to the foot of the throne and fling myself down in front of God and say, you've got to help me. And I'm not doing such a good job here by myself. And maybe you are, but I would argue, and Caleb and I have had this discussion, the bride of Christ as a whole, the church, we're not doing so good. How many of you have heard the scandals that have happened in Rock the Southern Baptist and it's not just them. Take any pastor who's been of any... Uh, I'm from the Tammy Faye Baker era. Anybody remember that in Riverside, Maine? Y'all don't remember Tammy Faye? Look at one person. Tammy Faye had enough makeup on her face that you could chisel it off with a, a shovel, as far as I could tell. You guys remember Tammy Faye? She had eyelashes that went on for miles. And she was like, Y'all so Jesus! Y'all so funny! They were embezzling. It was awful. I am, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of God's pain not being glorified in this world. It makes me mad. It makes me mad at myself when I don't measure up. It makes me mad that as the bride of Christ walks around saying, I'm just going to read my scripture and hang out around other Christians and gossip. That's just what we're going And we allow ourselves all the time because we're trying to rely on do's and don'ts. You with me? I'm going to tell you a little story right now to help you with this. There's this farmer, and he's going to take his produce to market. Loads it all up, gets the donkey hitched up, and they take off. And he goes down the path toward the market, and there's a big old hole full of mud and yuck, and he didn't see it, he falls off in it, loses all his crop. Well, he drags the donkey out, gets the cart out, and goes back. Next time he goes to the market, he's like, now there's a hole down here and I don't want to fall up into it. I'm going to watch for it. And he sees it coming, but he doesn't slow down and he falls off into it. He's all just haul the donkey out, haul the thing. He goes back home, right? Next time he goes to the market, he's like, I'm not falling off in that hole this time. 
he gets to that hole and he goes, I'm going to go around the right hand side. He ropes himself and they squinch around and he loses about 90% of his produce, but they get to the other side wounded, but sort of successful. And the next time he says, well, maybe we try the other side. So the other time, next time he gets all around, he goes the other side. And this time he only loses about 80% of his produce. And he does this for a while until he's wallowed the hole out farther. And directly one day, he gets up, looks at that path, and looks at his hard-earned produce, looks at his poor, worn-out donkey, he goes, I think I might take a different path than this. See, I think that's what we do most of the time. We run upon our sin, and we fall in. I know none of y'all have sin. But we fall in, and we go, what am I doing here again? Well, I, I know better than this. It's a progression. First, we don't know it's sin. Then we see it coming, and we fall off anyway. And then we try to edge around it. We flirt with it. We do all kinds of things trying to just, maybe just not this time and not quite fall in, right? The only way, the only way to avoid these things is not to willpower through it, to do your do's and don'ts. It's to say, I need a new path. I just need to take a new path. You with me? So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some old paths and some new paths. Okay. So one of the subtle ways in which I think we wander down paths, and at this moment I'm calling up my volunteers, one of those subtle ways that I think we move down paths, and I'm sad when I always hear things being taught as if it's a choice. Well, that person's just a sinner. They're just choosing to sin. I, I okay, yeah. Uh, you sometimes just choose to sin. I think we do, we do. But I also think it's far more um, difficult and pressing because we sometimes struggle to even identify the whole. And I want to talk about some of the ways that subtly we get stuck in sin. And the first one, and I believe bravely volunteered, is to talk about the ways in which our family patterns produce habits in us that we give ourselves an out to sin. I'm going to say it again. Our family patterns produce habits that become habitual sin. And we don't know it. We can't recognize the whole. We can't even skirt the edges of it because we don't see the miry pit, right? It's like the air we breathe. We grew up with it. And that's just how it was, and we had no idea you could be different. And so we step out into the world and we pop other people's balloons, not knowing that we're even popping their balloons. Hang on, we'll have some examples to make it more clear. We have family patterns. And if you look at the scripture, it says, if you will see it in the scripture, it says, you've been freed from the generational sin. There is generational sin. And here is my friend Kayla. I'm about my sin. Uh. <laughs> Uh, we're recording. Yeah, we are recording. Uh, so I would say that the two biggest ways that I've seen kind of generational sin in my family would be one, when it comes to our relationship with food. Um, in scripture, you find people use food to celebrate big occasions. That's a good thing. You have feasts. That's awesome. But I would say that my family, they were all firmness. The things that we would celebrate probably didn't qualify for celebration. It was just like, you know what? Long week. Time to, time to hit up uh, food that's terrible for me. Or, you know what, I, I, I'm kind of stressed out, so I'm going to overeat. And just realizing that my relationship with food, it was actually an idol that I didn't realize. That's my food. I tell you that. Yeah. I, I'm Maybe healing like from it. it. He's laying it. 
four, but I didn't know you had to pay for things. That ain't bad. Dolly Ranch is actually good sale. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but I'm still wrestling with it just because that's what I was told. Yeah. Well, not to ask other people to bear their souls without telling you mine, but I grew up in a very poverty-stricken family, and um, my mother always talked about how there wasn't enough money. If I needed shoes, there wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough money for clothes or school supplies, or there's never enough money. And my sister and I today laugh about it. We thought growing up we were one pair of shoes away from being bag ladies with all our stuff in the shopping cart. We didn't know. And so as an adult, I have had to struggle with Scroogeness. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm terrified there's not going to be enough. And I have a phrase from scripture that I repeat to myself in this week. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why? Because I have to remind myself, God isn't stingy. He's not like, I don't want you to have money. You might get prideful. He's like, I don't want money to be with God. And so until you and I work out this issue of money that you have, I'm going to keep you close to me and not close to your bank account. So it's taken years. I'm something too. I'll just tell you, I'm knocking on 60. And I still wrestle it. It makes me so mad that when they say tithing, I have no problem with it. You used to have a problem with that. I have no problem today. And I tithe on the gross, not the net. I have no problem with that. Then they say love gifts, and I go, grumble, grumble, grumble. Okay. I don't think I told you this story before. I don't know if I did or not, but I had taken a bunch of cash out of my account because I needed to buy something, and they would only take cash. And it turned out I got there too late, so it's closed. So I did the food thing and went and rewarded myself with a burger. And I am in this um, pub. I didn't know about that, so I'm okay walking into a pub. So I'm in this pub, and I've got all this cash in my pocket, right? And this pregnant woman comes to wait on me at the table. And I mean, she's got pop. And you can just tell from her skin and her hair and her clothing and her dental work, she doesn't come from a lot of money, right? And God shoved me on the shoulder. Give her your cash. I'm like, what? You have got to be kidding me. and a piece of pie, because I was rewarding myself, <laughs> arguing with God and pointing out all the other people in the restaurant that could give her the money. Why did it have to be my money? My money. Do you hear it? Mine. Mine, 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 mine. Like the seagulls from that movie. Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> At the end, with terrible grace, I got over, and I mean it was hundreds of dollars. Hundreds. It wasn't a $40 gas card. Let me know. And I went over to her and I said, I'm a racist wife. I've never given this much money away to a stranger in all my life. And I said to her, God wants you to this money. <laughs> and I handed it to her. And I'm like, I'm white and I'm shaking. And she bursts into tears. And she said, you don't know how much just thank you, thank you, thank you. And I would ill grace say to her, well, don't thank me. Left up to me, it would still be in my pocket. You better be thanking God. <laughs> I struggle to remember that it's his money. I just get to kind of hang on to it for a while and administer it until he has some place for it to go. Maybe y'all will have that thing. But I grew up thinking money was scarce and we were one step away from disaster. And I want that money in my pocket and I 
healthy. Money's a terrible dog. Terrible. All right. I don't know what your generational things are. You don't have to reveal them. But I promise as we walk through this, we've hit some of you. Some of you said, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, that's my family. Oh, yeah, that's me. The only way to do it is to recognize the miry pit. Not lever yourself around the edge. Oh, you can do it for a while, but one of these days you're going to be tired of it, and you're going to say, I have to have a new path. Okay? Well, if I haven't punched you in the gut yet, I'm about to get there. How much time do I have left? Okay, we started. All right, well, I'm going to hit you with a couple others. A couple things I want to say about um, family generational issues that you've got to work through. They take time. There is no magic wand to free you of the generational patterns that hold you in bondage and keep you from being holy. I wish there was. I wish we could take a pill. I'm American. There's not. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. You're going to have to focus on it. You're going to have to want it. Dallas Willard, we're reading Renovation of the Heart together, Caleb and I and Dr. Aldine. And Dallas Willard writes in there that you have to have a vision that you want to be different. You must intend to be different. And you must have the means by which to be different. So it's going to take time to develop new habits, new paths. And you've got to be able to see them decide to change them, and then work on them. I'll also tell you this about it. It's not fun. How many of you have ever had to give up something that seems not great, but it's what you know? Right? See, the enemy of great isn't bad. It's good enough. Right? Well, I could go to school. I could, but no, I don't know. It's going to cost money, and... What if I don't get good grades? And what if I'm not any good at it? And I don't think I'll do that. My life's okay the way it is. Right? I don't care whether it's a job, school, or changing your friends, changing your actions day to day. It's scary and it's hard. Really scary and hard. It's not fun. Don't blame your parents. Oh, this is a fun game we play today. This is the game we play. Well, my parents did X, Y, and Z to me, so this is why I'm like this. They were just schmucks. Let me tell you something about your parents. They may have been great parents. They may have been bad parents. I don't know. But I don't know a parent out there that gets up on any morning and says, today, I'm going to do my kid in. They do not. They get up every morning with the cards they were dealt by their family and the ability of help that they have managed to gather up and say, today I'm going to do the best job I can to take care of my kids and provide for them. And some days they did a really crummy job. I know they did a crummy job because my parents did a crummy job. I did a crummy job some days. I hope you came from maybe RFD, full house, whatever kind of family. But most of us didn't. We just didn't. Is maybe we are too old. I tried to pull full house of the woodwork. Is that your generation? Thank you. You never know. Greet me. What does that mean? Don't blame your parents. They did the best job they could. When you were 10, they decided that you needed to be better because you were getting older. When you were 15, they decided you needed to behave better because you were older. 
lose the eight strings, right? Well, you're not any of those teens anymore. You're just not. And at some point, all of us have to go, okay, I'm an adult. And my, my, my childhood wasn't everything I wanted it to be. So right now I'm going to begin to parent myself. And I'm going to help myself grow up. And I'm not going to make my parents bad, mean, evil. I'm going to make them what they were, wounded people trying to heal just like me. Don't blame your parents. It's a cop-out. Is that a phrase you guys use? Or is that like a groovy word? All right. I never know. I gotta come hang out with you guys so I can get correct slang. The last thing I'll tell you about working on your generational patterns, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. To be able to let go of my fear of money has been such a blessing. Such a blessing. Do I still, does it still rise up? Yes, am I there yet? No. But I'm gonna tell you, as I've worked through these, I've begun to go, this is what scripture means by in Christ I am free. This is what scripture means by joy, abundant joy. All right, Caleb, has there been anything that you would say, I set that down at the foot of the throne and I finally did not pick it up and praise Jesus, I did not. No, you're still picking up all your own stuff you never lost, didn't drop any of it. Good luck, you need more. <laughs> I dropped some of mine. Back in the back, ladies, has there been anything that you would say over all the years of walking this out, there's been some things that you dropped at the foot of the throne and finally didn't go back and pick up? Nodding. Here down front, have you already had something that you let go of and said, new path, and you didn't fall into the hole anymore? It is so freeing and it is so worth it to do it. A lot of work. Not fun. Don't blame your parents. Totally worth it. Totally. All right. I think I'm done on that one, but I'm not going to. Oh no! Now we're going to get you. Sorry. Now it gets really sort of like cut to the quick. Besides choices, the do's and the don'ts that we're good or not good at, and besides the generational sin that we breathed in, we also all have names. Now maybe your parents gave you a good name and you like it, or maybe you have a name like mine that I have to spell every stinking time I go to Panera because nobody can spell my name. So I just go like this, my name is Mary, because I get sick of saying, my name is Santa. How do you spell that? S-T-A, Innocent Nancy A. Oh my gosh, that's a great name, where'd you get it? My daddy's name is Stanley. Oh, I see, ha, 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 ha. My name's Mary. <laughs> I'm 60 years old. I've been having that conversation about my name. So maybe you love your name. Me and my name have kind of a, I don't know, it's a love-hate relationship. You know? I'm the only Santa Martin in the whole U.S. I guess that's a good thing. But if there's any weird pictures out there with my name, that is not me. FYI, I just want to, that's catfishing. I know that word. Look at me. Okay, let's talk about names. Names are important to God. Um, give me a couple examples. Abram, A-B-R-A-M, he became Abraham. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, became Israel, right? Are you Jacob or Israel? There you go, Israel. Okay, so I will tell you that Revelation 
and Isaiah will say that you are going to get a new name. I'll give you the scripture in a minute, but believe me, the Bible says God's all about giving new names when it's necessary. So you're going to get a new name if you need one. So let's talk about some of the names you might have grown up with. Did you get the name Stupid? You made a mistake and someone, maybe lots of someone's over the years, they would say, you are so stupid. You broke it. How could you be so stupid? You can insert a lot of things there. Worthless, good for nothing, you're dumb as a rock, you're thick-headed, you're useless. Every one of those labels is written on your soul when you are so young, you have no defense. It becomes internalized, and whenever something goes horribly wrong, or you make a mistake, or something else happens, you hear all that old stuff in your head. Even if it's not out loud, somebody's saying it, now you can hear it in your head. And it says, you're so stupid. You're so worthless. Why do you make all these stupid mistakes? You're a dummy. It's called self-talk, by the way. And most of us have constant self-talk in our head, and 90% of it's not good. When was the last time you would said, look at me, I did really good. Look at that, that's awesome. Like never, right? We're always criticizing. Why didn't you do that better? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you, yeah, all right. So what happens to us when we think all those negative things inside of our head and we have these labels of stupid, worthless, useless? We hide. We'll make a mistake and instead of owning it, we'll say, I don't know how that fell. It just, I was standing here and it just fell. Does that sound like a 10 year old to you? See, we do it as adults, we do. You don't even have to own it. I'm just going to tell you up front. We, we make mistakes and we lie about it. We blame it on someone else. Or we spin it just a little, just enough of a fish story that we don't look quite as bad as we know we really were in the moment. Because what we don't want to do is we don't want somebody else to see that we're stupid, worthless. All right, let me try another name on you. Shame. You were sexually abused by someone who should have been able to trust. Maybe it happened once or just twice, or maybe it was a pattern that went on for years, and no one saved you. Maybe you even prayed to Jesus to rescue from all this nightmare, and still, no one came. And your name became sordid, dirty, shame, guilt, unbearable self-hatred, and maybe even rage. You were a thing you were unloved, unlovable, and you got used and thrown away, and no one came for you. And in your mind, you say, well, why bother to be holy? What's the point? My name is Shane. And by gosh, you have the rage to back it up. The data says one of three women will be select sexually molested by the time they're 18. One in five men. In a room this size, I'm not speaking into a void. You don't have to own it publicly, but you know who you are. I'm going to tell you a truth right now. What happens to you does not define you. I'm going to say it again. If some hell-bent soul decided that they could use you in a way that was inappropriate and unacceptable, that does not mean that is who you are. That is a lie from the pit of hell. We claim it and we own it and we drag it around with us for far too many stinking years. That's 
If I haven't kicked you in the gut completely yet tonight, let me try just one more. Your name is not enough. You had a parent who left, a divorced family, something, and somewhere in the back of your little small child mind, you said, well, if I'd have been better, if I'd have just been nicer, if I'd have behaved better, maybe my mom or dad would have stayed. Maybe you're adopted and you always wonder if there was something wrong with you. Why did your parents give you up? Maybe you had someone nice who meant well, but they looked at you and they said, well, such a saying, Jane, you know, you're so plain. You know, you're not like your cousin Dora. She's so cute. If you would just tie your hair up, you know, and put a bow, maybe wear a dress, make an effort. Or maybe you had a parent that wanted to have a sporty child, and so you were squeezed into soccer cleats or football pads and made to run up and down the field, hating every minute of it, but you so wanted to make that parent proud and make them love you. You did it until you turned about 15 or 16, and finally the rage kicked in, and you said, I'm not doing it anymore. And always you could see that little bit of disappointment in somebody's eyes. This is my son or daughter. They're not enough. I didn't scratch the surface. No one in this room got out of their childhood without scars. None of us did. And we carried these things around with us like baggage. I have this image in my mind that I'm the donkey. And there's these carts behind me. And they're piled up with stuff that other people put in my cart. I didn't even put it in there. And I'm dragging it with me through life. And if I could just figure out how to stop and unload the baggage, everything would go better. I had a pastor one time. We were at Easter service. I don't want to tell you the story. Easter service. We would leave our church. It's not quite this big, but we would go to the university gymnasium we would advertise it all over town, and we would have eight, ten thousand 10,000 people show up for Easter service. And the choir's all up there in their little Easter coat shirts, singing, you know, pastor's preaching one Sunday, and that Sunday he's on about, we all have regrets in our past. And he's talking about, you got junk in your trunk, and you got to get rid of it, you know, right? And he's, he's, he's wailing. And directly he says with great passion, we all have regrets in our pants. I ain't kidding you. The whole place went, oh! And then it busted out in laughter. And of course, we had massive attendance the next Sunday at church just to see if the pastor would let loose with one again. We all have baggage. We all are carrying it around. We really are. It might be because you have glasses and they called you four eyes. It might be because you have black teeth and they called you whatever that name is. You might have worn braces of some kind. You might have had weird looking hair. You might have been too big, too little, too fat, too skinny, too slow. You were not enough, whatever it was. And I can promise you, you are carrying it with you. You don't have to. God says in Isaiah 6.22, You shall be called by a new name. And Revelations 3.12, I, God, will write on you a new name. While we hold our old names, we do all kinds of horrible things. Because we are hurt, we hurt other people. Hurt people hurt other people. Isn't that clever? I stole that. What do we do? 
Well, we put other people down as a joke because in that moment we realize if I make fun of that person, everybody will laugh and I'll get you know, social points and everybody will like me more. And if I leave that guy bleeding by the edge of my tongue, well, it sucks to be you. They cause us to lie. We hide behind our masks. We take the easy path because we don't want to risk a failure. We cough up excuses instead of changing. We manipulate people around us so that they will fill our needs because we can't figure out how to get them filled any other way. And we gossip so we can feel part of the in-group and more. So, 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 so much more. God says you do not have to have that name. I must have been in my, I didn't come to my faith as, I came as an adult, not as a child. And somewhere I was about a year or two years into this journey, and I wasn't 100% certain everything was, I just didn't know if I believed. You know, I was struggling. I was struggling to see, is Jesus real? This is way strange. I'm, I have a PhD. I have been trained in the scientific method. I know a lot about science, right? And science says, oh, humanism. That's God's stuff. is dead. And here I am in the middle of reading the Bible, trying to figure out if it's real or so I'm driving along one day praying, and I hit a very difficult time in my life. And I'm driving along crying and praying, which is never an advisable thing with tears running around trying to steer a big truck. But I'm driving along crying and praying because I was really desperate at that point for God to be real and for there to be some difference in my life. I didn't like my life at that time. And I, I just in my soul, I heard the clearest statement your name is beloved. I started sobbing hysterically. I pulled over the side of the road, cried for half an hour, used every tissue in the glove box. And when I finally could drive again, I have never let go of that. When people are at work and they're shrieking at me and calling me names because things aren't going the way they want them to, you know what I whisper to myself? My name is beloved. When I get up in the morning and it's, the sun's coming up and it's a cool day and my coffee's hot, sit on my deck and I see how beautiful it is and I go, oh, my name's And when I'm lost, I don't know where to go and I have nowhere else to turn, I will run to the foot of the throne and I will fling myself down and I'll say, tell me my name, tell me my name, let me dig your it. And God will say, you're my child. Or my and let me tell you, that gets me through a lot of miles. A lot of miles. But maybe that name does not bring wealth for you. Maybe that doesn't. When you get a name that's healing for you over stuff that allows you that opportunity to be more holy, it'll ring inside of your soul just like a bell. I promise you it will. And if you don't have any of those words, I want to give you just a few of them, just a few, and you can grab onto any of these until you get one that's better. But scripture says things like this. God calls us friend, masterpiece, child, heirs of the promise, apple of his eye, forgiven, redeemed, worthy, delivered, strong, bold, confident, protected, free, upheld, fearless, not forsaken, faithful witness, good soldier, servant, a new branch, the root of Jesse, holy temple, where I dwell, a name and a praise among all the people, a new creature, treasure, inherited, a royal diadem, sojourner, unashamed, ambassador for the kingdom, blessed believers, body of Christ, disciple, called, chosen, elect of God, and above all, you are mine. God said, these are my people. I have called them by my name. 
کیفیت 